Valley family. We are actually putting our series called Thrones on Hold uh, this weekend, and we wanted to just take the time to celebrate uh, communion, uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, in all of our gatherings this weekend, and so we're real excited uh, about this. And so that's what I want to look at, and really, uh, when we have communion here at Valley Christian Church, I don't really like it just kind of being some sort of uh, afterthought or appendage to like talking about Samson. So I thought, no, let's, let's really look at what uh, the Bible has to say about communion. And uh, we're not going to exhaust a subject in one message, but uh, I'm hopeful and, and praying that uh, it, it will actually bring some understanding to many of us and, and really maybe even some, uh, uh, some revelation, if you want to look at it that way, to really heighten the experience, the celebration of the Lord's table. So if you have your Valley app, you can go ahead and open that up. And uh, I'm going to read a real long passage. You'll be able to fill in the blanks as we work our way through. But a, a rather long passage in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. And uh, if you don't have your app or a Bible, uh, we're going to have it up on the screen. But 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. And I'm going to read a bunch of verses, and then we'll take the rest of the time to unpack these. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. The Apostle Paul is writing to Christians in Corinth. And he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, just keep that in mind, after supper, we'll get back to it, it's pretty significant actually. After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, verse 27, so then, whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of singing, sitting against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves." That is why many, are, many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That literally means drop dead. A number of you have died prematurely because of this warning here that Paul gives uh, to the Christians. That's what it means when he says many of you have actually uh, fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we're judged in this way by the Lord, we are being dis uh, disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home. So when you, uh, so when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further directions. I kind of wish I had those further directions as well, but uh, that's all that Paul had to say uh, about the subject of communion. Communion is all about connections. Uh, it, it's, uh, and that's what we're going to look at in our time together today, uh, four different types of connections. It's meant this celebration uh, that Jesus really... I'm going to say instituted, but we're going to find that something else really happened. He kind of took an existing Jewish celebration, and he extended it even further. Uh, we're going to look at that in just a minute. But uh, communion is meant to connect things that were otherwise fragmented or disconnected. 
And so in order to understand what that means, we, we really have to take a, a, a little look underneath the surface here, particularly in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 at these connecting points that Paul was talking about. So here's the first connection point, uh, if you will. It, communion connects us to the past and, and not just to the cross. Communion actually connects us far, farther back than even the cross. The celebration that Jesus was eating, the meal he was eating, was the Passover meal. This was the meal that God instituted when he told Moses, I'm going to deliver the people out of Egypt. And he said, this is how, remember the last plague of the ten plagues that God visited on Egypt. He said, I'm going to send the death angel into Egypt. And he's going to strike down, strike dead, the firstborn of every single person in Egypt. There's only one way to survive this. He said, take a lamb. He said, you have to find a lamb, each family, each household, and it has to be without spot or wrinkle or blemish, and sacrifice that lamb. And then take the blood from that lamb and paint it on the doorposts of the home. And when the death angel comes, he'll see the blood of the lamb, and he'll pass over that house. That's where they got the name from, Passover. And God said, I want you to celebrate this every single year on an annual basis. It's exactly what happened. The death angel came down. Those who had the blood of the lamb on their household, the death angel passed over them. Those that didn't, the death angel struck down dead the firstborn of every family. Finally, Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt, had had enough. And he said, I can't do this anymore. You can all go. And he released the uh, Jewish people. And that was the Exodus. That's what the book of Exodus is all about. This connects us to the past because Jesus was celebrating the Passover when he took this cup and this bread. In fact, I don't have time to get into it today, but we did an entire series. It's still on our website and on your app called Four Cups. The Passover meal actually has not just one cup, but four different cups. And each one is symbolic of something incredibly powerful. We did an entire five-week series on the four cups of the Passover. And so it connects us first all the way back to, don't forget it now, the blood of the Lamb was the sign that the judgment of God, the death angel, would pass over that house. Fast forward a few hundred years or so, and God speaks as they're celebrating this Passover, the Jewish people, year after year after year, and God speaks to the prophet Isaiah. And he makes an interesting statement as God speaks and really points to all these lambs that have been slain for the Passover, really for the forgiveness of the people of Israel and, and, and for uh, to, to look over their sins, that God would look over their sins. And in Isaiah chapter 53, it's an incredible chapter that prophetically talks about the coming of Christ. But look at what it says, uh, just two verses, Isaiah 53, 6. It says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray, and each of us has turned to our own way. Watch this now. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Have you ever heard the phrase before, the scapegoat? All of that goes back to Old Testament sacrificial system. And the scapegoat was the one where the, the priest would actually put his hands on one of the goats and then let him go out into the wilderness. And he supposed, was like taking all of the sins of Israel away. And then the other lamb they would sacrifice, and that blood, then the priest would go in, and he'd bring that blood and anoint the altar in the Holy of Holies. 
Isaiah picks up on this. God is speaking through Isaiah and saying, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's going to come a lamb, Isaiah is saying, that God is going to lay all the sins of humanity upon. And that lamb is the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Remember when Jesus, the New Testament says, when, when John the Baptist was baptizing people, Jesus came walking up on the Jordan, and just right then, John stopped, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Now, Jesus is celebrating that very Passover. They're having this huge meal. They're eating this lamb that for hundreds and hundreds and maybe even close to a thousand plus years was all pointing to him coming as the lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. And he takes, as we just read, he takes the cup, and it's that fourth cup of the Passover celebration. And he fills it full of even greater meaning than it had in Passover itself. And that's the cup and the bread of communion that we're going to share in just a moment. So first of all, it connects us to the past, not just to the cross. It connects us all the way back to God's deliverance, God's freeing power to the children of Israel when they were freed from their bondage all the way back into Egypt. Communion connects us. It connects us first to the past. Secondly, it connects us to God. It connects us to God himself. Now, let, let me do a little bit of a, uh, let me go a little theological on you. I think you can probably hang with me, okay? Just follow along. That there's two different, uh, mainly two different schools of thought when it comes to communion. Uh, one would be the Roman Catholic point of view of what communion is about, and the other would be a Protestant view of what communion really is and the significance of it. Uh, we're not Roman Catholic, we're Protestant, so I'm going to explain the Protestant point of view, but I, I do want to explain a little bit of the Roman Catholic view. I'm not an apologist. I'm not trying to, you know, defend uh, uh, the Roman Catholic view or anything like that, but I think it's important for us to understand. Protestant, literally, Roman Catholics believe that the bread and the juice or the wine becomes the actual blood and body of Jesus Christ, based on what Jesus says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood that is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so that's called transubstantiation, that it's actually metaphysically changes, physiologically changes into the actual body and the actual blood of Jesus. There's only one problem with that from a Protestant's point of view. When Jesus said that, his body had not been broken and no blood had been shed. And so he's actually holding a cup full of wine and a piece of bread. And so as Protestants, we say, he had not even died yet. But he's saying, I'm going to. And these are going to be symbols of what I'm doing. Just as the lamb being slain in Passover was a symbol of Jesus who would be slain. It's a symbol. And so that, those are generally the two school of thoughts there. What does this mean for us? That, that these symbols, but I think there's even more than just the symbolism. Personally, In fact, John Calvin, a great reformer, he put it this way, that there's a real presence of Christ in communion. And that's what I believe. That, that Jesus commanded this. And, and by the way, how many times did Passover happen a year? Once. 
and Jesus was eating Passover, and he said, do this in remembrance of me, but he didn't say do it every week. He didn't give any type of how often you should do it or anything like that, but the Passover was one time, and that's where he got the cup, and that's where he got the bread from. In fact, Paul writes here and goes, as often as you do this, and sometimes people ask me, well, how often is often? I think it's more often than seldom. That's all it is. But, but, but there, there's nothing in the Bible that says how often that it has to happen. But, but we do know it should happen at least once because Passover was once. This is the third time this year. Uh, we've already sk- figured out and scheduled out our fourth time this year that we'll be doing this, uh, celebrating communion. And, and so literally what would happen, and I encourage you to read it on your own, uh, earlier on in 1 Corinthians 11 here, Paul speaks, and, and what would happen in the early church, they would gather together and they would eat an entire meal together. It was like what we call down south an eating meeting. And, and I'm sure there was like fried chicken and macaroni and cheese, you know, and, and all this stuff. And that literally they, they, would, they, would, they would hear a teaching from the scripture and then they would all sit down and they would eat. And they would eat this meal together. And there was all kinds of abuses going on, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And because it was so crazy, what was going on, Paul says, I've got to speak to this issue. And, and I'm glad the church of Corinth was so messed up because we have a lot of insight into what's really important because Paul is actually, by the Holy Spirit, correcting these abuses in Corinth. In fact, at one point, I didn't even read it where I jumped in in verse 23, but if you jump up and you read in verse 21 or so, they were getting drunk. I mean, hammered. They were getting hammered drunk at church. And Paul says, what are you doing? He's like, this is crazy. They're getting like knee-walking drunk, as they say down south. They're just hammered. And he's like, it's not supposed to be like this. Others are like pigging out, gluttony. And the whole thing was you would bring whatever you could. So those who were a little more wealthy, they would bring like filet mignon and caviar, you know, and, and lobster tail. And, and then those that were a little, you know, those that were not as well off, they bring romaine noodles and, and uh, you know, some peanuts. And, and the, the wealthy ones are like going, <laughs> and the other ones that are like really, you know, uh, kind of poor, they're like, this is literally, what's, read it. It's, this is a Bible. You can't make this stuff up. This is, this is what he talks about in 1 Corinthians 11, and, and you can read it uh, uh, for yourself starting in verse 17. We just dropped in there actually on verse 23. So he's speaking to these issues. He's like, this is not right. But we need to remember the context of communion. We think about it, 2016, a cup and bread. It wasn't. It was a feast. Think about Thanksgiving. That's the closest thing that you get to the biblical picture. When Jesus did it the first time, And in the early church as well, it was a huge feast, a huge table and food and and loud and dirty dishes and and all kinds of just crazy stuff going on. And the apostle Paul, God speaking to him and saying, there should be some order to this. Because you're supposed to connect with God. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. When, when we look at that literally, that, that it's his body and his blood that actually is transformed into the bread and the cup, there, there's just a problem with that because of a lot of other stuff that Jesus said. A lot of other times when Jesus used very symbolic language, that, that if we take it seriously, it, it runs us into all kinds of, of problems. 
Because although he said this at this place and in John, he said it in a number of different other things as well. Look at, for instance, John 3.16. John 3.16 actually says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever takes communion in... No. Whoever what? Whoever believes in him. No mention about having to take communion. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Also in John chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus put it this way. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent. He, said, he summed up, what is God's work? It's to believe in Jesus. Again, no mention of you've got to take communion in order to be forgiven. You have to take communion in order to be saved. Believe. Believe in the one he sent. And then this one even, John chapter 6, verse 35, and these are just a few. There's, there's like hundreds of these. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But he doesn't say, he says, come, believe. He doesn't say eat. He doesn't say drink. He says, you just come. You just believe. Later on, the Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's just so simple. Jesus, save me. I will. You are. Jesus says. And, and so, I believe that the that, that bread and the cup are symbols. They're symbols that Jesus filled full of even greater meaning from, meaning from the Passover meal. But I believe there's even something a little bit more than just the symbolism. See, I, I think that there's, there's just a little bit more happening here. And what we have to do is we have to understand how to remember. We, we have to understand how to remember. Let's look at it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me everyone say remembrance remembrance he says remember remembrance of me and it goes on and it says in the same way after supper that supper is Passover he took the cup saying this cup is the covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me say remembrance one more time now here's the thing Remember, that word remember, our English word, the old English word for remember is very interesting. What's the opposite of remember? Think about it, though. It's not forget. Remember. The opposite of remember is dismember. Dismember. Remember means to reconnect something. It may be reconnect to a memory, but the opposite of remember is not forget. In our sense, it's disconnect from a memory. He says remember, reconnect. Reconnect to be grafted in, to be sewn back in, to fuse together is what remember means. So Jesus says, do this in remembrance. Reconnect with me. When you take the cup and you take the bread. That's why I agree with John Calvin. 
There's a real presence. There's a different presence of Jesus. We reconnect with God when we take the bread and we take the cup. Why do we need to reconnect? Because we disconnect from him all the time. Because we dismember ourselves from him. Because of Jesus' perfect life and his death on the cross and his resurrection, we have come into a relationship when we put our faith in his sacrifice for our sins and we receive what he's done for us through his perfect life, his death and his resurrection. We're connected. We have relationship. But then we're just like Isaiah said, we're like sheep and we go our own way and we disconnect and we're dismembered from him. And so it's important to have these times where we reconnect with him, where we realize what he's done, and, and we're grafted together, we're fused with him. And so even as we, as we end the message in, in just a minute, I'm going to pray that, God, your presence would be in a real way because we want to remember. We want to reconnect. We, we want to recognize that we're a part and so it connects us to God. Here's the third way that communion connects, communion connections. It connects us to one another. It's supposed to connect us to one another. Uh, let's look at this again, and then I'll unpack it. 1 Corinthians 11, 28 through 32. It says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And here's the reason why. Look at what it says. It goes on, it says, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, what's the body of Christ? All those that have put their faith in Christ for all time. Those that don't discern the body of Christ, look at what happens. Eats and drinks judgment on themselves. It goes on, it says, that is why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. And as I mentioned before, that actually sleep is not like you're doing right now while I'm preaching. That sleep is actually, what that literally means is your, your heart has stopped. They've died. They've died prematurely. And it goes on and it says, but if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. And it goes on and says, nevertheless, when we're judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned by the world. Here's the thing. Communion is supposed to help us not only to connect to the past, to connect to God, but to connect to one another. That is to say, if we've got a problem with another brother or sister in Christ, and we come to the table, God says, I'm going to have to judge you because of that. That resentment that you're holding towards your brother in Christ, that bitterness towards a sister in Christ, you're not recognizing they're in Christ. Jesus died for them too. And just like Jesus died to forgive you of your sins, you must forgive them of the sins they've committed against you. And so it's another way that we dismember ourselves. Check it out sometime on your own, 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, Paul makes it very, very clear about the body of Christ. The eye, speaking of the metaphor of the body, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. You know, we, one part of the body can't say to another part of the body, I don't, have any, I don't want anything to do with you. What happens if we do that? We dismember the body of Christ. 
And we do that all the time. We cut off relationships with other Christians. We drop them on Facebook. I, I met with a pastor recently whose heart has been absolutely broken because of people in his church that are ripping him up one side and down the other on social media. And they don't realize, don't take communion. That's what I want. Don't dare take communion until you make that right. Because they don't realize we're saying, God, judge me. Hold my sins against me as I'm holding someone else's sin against them. Communion is supposed to connect us to the past. It's supposed to connect us to God. It's supposed to connect us to one another. This is a family meal. And when we come to this meal, communion, the Lord's table, we're saying, I love you because of daddy. Because of what daddy and older brother Jesus did. Our relationship is not based on you're perfect. And it's sure not based on I'm perfect. Our relationship is we're a family. And as families, we're supposed to work this stuff out and please our Heavenly Father. And, and so even before we come to communion and this time together today, we're going to take some time. And, and, and I want you to seriously just search your heart. That's what we have to evaluate our hearts, what's going on in there. And, and, and if the person's not here right now, just make that commitment. God, I'm going to make this thing right. I'm going to pursue this relationship. I'm going to make this thing right. And, and, and don't not take communion, but take it with that commitment sealing. I'm going to make this right. I'm going to forgive my fellow Christian, my fellow follower of Christ. So very, very important. Because in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, the Bible puts it this way. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Doesn't get any clearer than that, does it? Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. It's just amazing how clear the scripture is. Like, how can we say we love God that we don't and we can't get along with the person we do see? And, and so there, there is this kind of like seriousness when it comes to communion connections that, that when we come to celebrate communion we need to think about our connections with those in the family of God and have we severed them have we handled them right if not God forgive me and let me go and make those things right it connects us to one another it connects us to God connects us to the past and here's the fourth thing that communion does I love this part so much communion connects us to the future it, it connects us to the future that awaits all those who place their faith in Jesus Christ let me read you a few verses from the book of Revelation that speaks about when Jesus returns again and he just he winds this whole thing up. And he makes it all right once and for all. 
Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, it says, Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's going to be a great feast for the family of God. And you know who's going to be there? All those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. And you talk about a celebration. It's going to be incredible. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Watch this now. I want to read a couple more, and then I'm going to make a point about where we are right now. It says in Revelation 21.3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will be with us forever, and we will be with him forever. And then in Revelation 21, 4, it says, and he, I love this, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, nor mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Totally and completely satisfied. I, I don't think anyone, any one of us, when we are in the presence of God, are like, oh man, I never got to go on that Caribbean cruise. I mean, it's just not going to be like that at all. Because every, every desire is like total and complete fulfillment. None of that stuff will matter. I never got my Lamborghini. It's going to be okay. We're going to be riding on clouds and lightning bolts. I mean, it's going to be awesome. And then, in Revelation chapter 21, in verse 5, it says, He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And the Bible makes it clear he will make a new heaven and a new earth. Now watch this now. Jesus was celebrating the Passover. He was the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. Every one of those lambs that had been slaughtered and sacrificed for hundreds and thousands of years all pointed to him. He took the last cup of the four cups in Passover and he said, and that bread, he goes, this is my body that's broken for you. It was about to be broken just a few hours this is my blood that's shed for you it was about to be shed in just a few hours he said do this in remembrance of me watch this now don't miss this the bread and the cup are the appetizers to the marriage supper of the lamb in eternity it's the hors d'oeuvres it's the order it's the appetizers Reminding us not only of what has happened, but what is going to happen. And his presence is with us in these incredible symbols of the cup and of the wine. Communion connects, it connects us to the past. Communion connects us to God. It's supposed to connect us to one another. And it connects us to the future as well. No more emptiness. No more pain. No more tears. No more heartache. No more sickness. No more disease. And we take the bread and we take the cup as the hors d'oeuvres, the appetizer, pointing to 
all this good that God has for us for all eternity. It's something, I, I love it, it's, it, it engages all of our senses. When we touch it, we smell it, we taste it, and Jesus says, it's just the coming attractions. It's just the preview. There's so much more. As we celebrate, and it's supposed to be a celebration, his death until he comes again. Do you know what the word Eucharist actually means in Latin? Thank you. It means thank you. That, that when we take the bread and the cup, we're saying, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for what you did for me by sending your son, his perfect life, and sacrificial death and his resurrection for me. I'm going to ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today and we ask you to help us to remember, to feed on your word and the words of your son, Jesus Christ, your words of the truth that we are forgiven because of his perfect sacrifice for our sins. We pray that you would shape us, reform our character by the observance right now of communion, the Lord's Supper. Meet with us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.